Hello, my friend. I'm so excited to see you here today. It's episode 393 of the Keto Diet Podcast. And today I have a longtime friend, Dr. David Jockers on the show. He's a doctor of natural medicine and runs one of the most popular natural health websites, drjockers.com, which has gotten over 1 million monthly viewers. And his work has been seen on popular media, such as the Dr. Oz Show and Hallmark Home and Family. Dr. Jockers is the author of the best-selling book, The Keto Metabolic Breakthrough by Victory Belt Publishing and The Fasting Transformation. He's a world-renowned expert in the area of ketosis, fasting, inflammation, and functional nutrition. He is also the host of the popular Dr. Jockers Functional Nutrition Podcast. Dr. Jockers lives in Canton, Georgia with his wife, Angel, and his two boys, David and Joshua, and his daughters, Joyful and Sunshine. I am so excited to have him on the show today. Dr. Jockers and I have done lots of stuff in the past together. I've been on his show. He's been on mine. In the show notes, I will link up to the episode that we did on his show. And then if you want to connect with him on an episode that we did on my show, I will also include the links in the show notes. Also, David and I talk a lot about different books that we've read, Eat for Energy, End of Alzheimer's, Melatonin Miracle. We talk about Dutch testing and tons of different supplements and things. So I'm going to include all of those links in the show notes. And for the supplements, there's a website that I like to use called Fullscript. And I'll include the link in the show notes there. If you sign up using my link, you get 20% off supplements and they are way cheaper than Amazon. The reason why I never, ever, ever, ever suggest that anyone get any supplements from Amazon like ever is because they don't care about the quality of the supplements, meaning they will let supplements sit in the sun in their boxes for days on end. A lot of them come expired. So I just, I generally don't suggest getting supplements off Amazon and with Fullscript, you save money and I'm not paid to say that. It's just a great service. And so I set that up. There's a bunch of protocols in there and details in there. Plus you get savings. So it's good all around. Today, we're going to be talking about understanding your hormones and melatonin production, how melatonin works in the body, why it's so incredibly important, fear of supplementing around hormones, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, how you should test your hormones, blood work versus Dutch testing, estrogen metabolites and why that matters, how to have optimal hormone synergy, cleaning up the body, addressing root causes. And we finish things off by talking about inflammation and the role in your body overall. It's a good one. I can't wait to share with you. So let's just get to it. Hey, I'm Leanne Vogel. You're listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. I've created a free guide with tips on how to start keto and maintain your fat-fueled life. Grab it at healthfulpursuit.com slash free as a little thank you for listening to the show. Hey, Dr. Jockers, how are you? Great. Really great to reconnect, Leanne. Yeah, it's been a really long time. Just incredible. Uh, I'd love if people haven't listened to our past episodes and things that we've done together. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So I am a doctor of chiropractic and a doctor of natural medicine. I'm just really passionate about helping people get, get well. And I actually, I started a clinic in 2009. It's called Exodus Health Center in Kennesaw, Georgia. And I actually eventually sold that clinic, but they still do functional medicine and chiropractic care there. And I run a really popular website, drjockers.com that I started in 2012, putting out you know, what we, well, what we try to do is put out the world's best health content, making it super thorough, image rich, and really a great experience for people when they come to the site so they can get information in a really, a really user-friendly way and a, a way that people can really enjoy reading through and digesting in-depth functional medicine content. And so it's drjockers.com. I also have a popular podcast that I've had you on, Leanne. It's called the Dr. Jockers Functional Nutrition Podcast. That's great. And what's your favorite content to create? Like, what's your absolute favorite when you sit down and you're like, oh, I can't wait to make XYZ. What's like the one topic that really speaks to you right now? 
You know, it's hard to say. Like, I'm, I'm actually reading Dr. Dale Bredesen, one of his new books. It's like the end of Alzheimer's program. And so as I'm reading that book, I'm like, I, I just get ideas. I'm like, oh, I don't have an article about beta amyloid plaque. I need an article on that. I don't have an article on ApoE4, right? The, the genotype ApoE4. I need an article on that. So I just start reading. I like reading other people's books that are very knowledgeable. I just read Ari Witten's book, Eat for Energy. And so it's like I start reading books and I'm like, I get ideas. For example, we're putting together a really in-depth article on melatonin and how powerful melatonin is, how it's amazing for you know, it actually can slip right into the mitochondria. It's one of those powerful antioxidants to buffer oxidative stress within the mitochondria. And it's just, it's got a lot of powerful, a lot, you know, we think about melatonin, we, we just think, okay, it's sleep hormone, right? But it's anti-cancer, antiviral, you know, antimicrobial really helps regulate the gut microbiome, helps reset the mitochondria. I mean, there's just so many great benefits to it. So I just start reading, Leanne, and then I get ideas, okay? In fact, I would say like where I kind of get stale is when I'm not reading books because reading for me and just doing research and reading helps me be excited. And when I uncover topics that I want to go deeper into, I work with my writer and I create an outline and I look at, I go through a whole bunch of different studies and I create a detailed outline for, for her and uh, she ends up writing the article, but I do a lot of the front end research and then... After that, my team, we set it up in WordPress and then I go through it, I edit it, I work with the graphic design team to create you know, really good images for it, to make it real image rich and just kind of add to the experience for the individual when they read it. And so I always feel like you don't really, you, don't, you can't really master something until you can put together a really great piece of content and teach it, right? So then oftentimes what I'll do is I'll then take, after we do the article, I'll take images from it and create a PowerPoint and then actually do a YouTube video, right? Or I'll just do like a stand-up, you know, with a videographer, just a YouTube video explaining that topic. Because I really feel like that's when you have a level of mastery. And so whenever I, I'm putting together a new, a new topic, my goal is that that topic I can, I can have mastery over and it can just kind of be, become part of my knowledge bank. You and I are so similar in that way. Um, a friend texted me a couple of days ago and they're like, what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, I'm going to read all the books on methylene blue I can possibly get my hands on <laughs> and I'm just going to go down the rabbit hole. Um, so that's what I'm doing this weekend. And then I'm going to write an article on it and then I'm going to make a video. And that's, yeah, you're exactly right. I, I process information the same way. And melatonin, especially, I know that when I was studying nutrition, like 2007, melatonin was one of those things that you just didn't supplement with. A lot of people mm -hmm. were saying that you could become dependent on it. It, that it was pretty dangerous and a lot of shifts and changes on melatonin over the last couple of years, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I had heard as well, that because melatonin is a hormone that your body produces, you know, we're told, okay, if you, you know, if you put in a hormone, right. And it's kind of like the testosterone research, you know, if you're injecting testosterone, your body stops making as much testosterone, but not all hormones work that way. You know, for example, when people take thyroid hormone doesn't mean their body's necessarily going to stop producing thyroid hormone. And so it doesn't necessarily work that way. And with melatonin, supplemental melatonin can have tremendous benefits. And a lot of people, especially as they age, they, their, their melatonin levels drop. Now, I don't think there's real good research out there. I haven't found any real good research where they take an older you know, just a group of older people that have lower melatonin and actually have them get early morning sunshine have them, you know, exercise regularly, have them eat a blood sugar balancing diet, and then turn off all the blue light in their homes, you know, in the evening and wear blue light blocking glasses and do all the things to help optimize melatonin and then study them. So I haven't, I haven't seen any direct research like that. However, you know, what, when you do look at the research, it's pretty clear that as people are getting older, their melatonin levels are going down. And so supplementing with that has been shown to have pretty incredible benefits for supporting mitochondria, slowing down the aging process, really great for cognitive decline, really powerful for that. And, and that makes sense because again, melatonin's really one of the most powerful, one of the most powerful antioxidants in the mitochondria that's not actually produced necessarily in the mitochondria, right? Because you've got catalase, you've got glutathione peroxidase, you've got superoxide dismutase which are the three 
natural intracellular antioxidants that really help protect mitochondria, but then, mito- but then melatonin is able to slip into the double membrane of the mitochondria and sweep up extra free radicals. And so, and that's super important because some people, you know, genetically are not, are not, you know, there's a lot of people that have slow SOD genes, for example. So they don't produce enough superoxide dismutase. So they get higher amounts of superoxide free radical and melatonin can help buffer that. There's other people have issues with glutathione peroxidase, right? So there's different, based on our genetics, some individuals may not be able to buffer some of these free radicals as well as others, but melatonin is kind of the cleanup crew, right? Comes in there to help clean up. And so we want to get enough of that in there. And so, yeah, for cognitive decline, going back to that, the brain is, neurons are the most mitochondrial dense cells of the body outside of the testes and the ovaries. So you have something like, and and it it differs based on who you ask, but what I understand about 10,000 mitochondria per neuron. Whereas your typical muscle mitochondria, it's like a thousand. Liver is like two to five thousand, somewhere in that range. Same with heart. And uh, but so brain's got a lot more. So the more that we can support mitochondrial health, the better we are going to be as far as brain health. And whenever you see somebody with cognitive decline, dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, even, you know, that's uh, obviously an issue with neurodegeneration. All those conditions are mitochondrial conditions. So there are issues with mitochondrial dysfunction. So we know melatonin is going to play a big role there. I found my new favorite snack and it's here to stay. House of Macadamia's seasoned macadamia nuts. They're like chips without the carbs. Like seriously. The first time I had a bag of their onion flavored macadamias, I was floored. Macadamias, sea salt, onion powder, garlic powder, parsley, that's it. Simple, delicious, and their chocolate-dipped macadamias, no words. Well, actually, I do have a few words. Low-carb, high-fat, antioxidant-rich. I'm just salivating thinking of them right now, but sadly, I had my last bag yesterday, but I have a coupon code that I'll be using for my next order, and you can use it too. I'll share it with you in just a second. Why macadamias? Why not other nuts? Well, macadamias are loaded with monounsaturated fat, more than olive oil, 27% less carbs than almonds, 50% less carbs than cashews. Their nutrient profile is keto, like perfectly keto. And House of Macadamias aren't the -the run-of-the-mill macadamia nut. I used to get mine from Costco, but not anymore. You can tell the quality behind House of Macadamia products, selecting only the best of the best nuts sourced from over 90 independent farms produced in rich soil with clean mountain water and mild temperatures. Okay, for that coupon code, visit houseofmacadamias.com slash KDP and use the coupon code KDP20 for 20% off your first purchase. Once more, that's houseofmacadamias.com slash KDP and use the coupon code KDP20 for 20% off your first purchase. Enjoy! Completely. And I think it was in the book Melatonin Miracle, I think. I think it was that one. Like you, just so many books, it starts to all get fuzzy. Where um, they were saying that that fuzzy feeling that we can get after taking melatonin, I believe it was that book, can be because it's actually stimulating the glymphatic system to start pushing Mm. out metals from the brain. And so I started putting a couple of my clients melatonin with a binder at the same time, and it mitigated that fuzzy feeling the next morning. Have you seen that as well? Yeah, that's super powerful. And that's really good to know. There's, you know, Ari Witten was saying that there's a certain percentage, like he, for, for example, for him, and he believes it's related to, there's a genetic issue with it, where there's a certain percentage of people that when they take melatonin, they feel more groggy in the morning. Like I feel great. Like it doesn't, doesn't affect me that way. I get deeper, more restful, high quality sleep. I've never taken melatonin and then like felt more groggy. So I've never had that experience. But according to him, there's a certain percentage, 20% or so that may experience that, right? They just, they may, and they do better on melatonin precursors, L-theanine, different things like that, that help support it. You know, cause really like For example, if even somebody that doesn't respond real well with melatonin supplementation, if we're testing their sleep, like if they're wearing an aura ring and they're getting, let's say, two hours of deep sleep, two, maybe three hours of deep sleep, 
we know they're getting some level of lymphatic function, right? So they should be able to sweep out damaged proteins, heavy metals, at least to some degree, you know, if they're getting that level of deep sleep. Obviously, if they're not, then they're not getting that brain drainage that they need from the lymphatic system. But if they're taking the melatonin and they, they don't respond as well, I can't say that it would be that it's pushing heavy metals more. I don't know enough there. You know, I, it's certainly possible. It's also possible if you took the binder that the binder may have, depending on the binder, may have grabbed up some of that melatonin. So they may have had less of an effect. Does that make sense? So I'm not sure. But, you know, if you're, if you're seeing that, if the person's responding and they're feeling better, could be a positive thing. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I use mostly carbon-based binders, so I don't have to worry so much, like necessarily, depending on the person and all the things, about the melatonin being swept up with a binder. But I, I have seen that, and I think it was a melatonin miracle. I'll have to look, and then I'll include it in the show notes. Another fun fact about melatonin, and not a lot of people put the two and two together, we've talked about mold exposure a little bit on the podcast, and oftentimes mold can bring down melatonin. And so while we're talking about melatonin and such, if you've been exposed to mold, can also have some issues there. Yeah, totally. Now, you mentioned hormones and just like that fear of supplementing with hormones. I'd love to just kind of go there since we've been talking about understanding hormones and melatonin production into, you mentioned testosterone. I know a lot of people come to me and say, my doctor put me on estrogen. Should I be on this? I'm fearful. My other doctor says it's bad for me. I'm going to get cancer, blah, blah, blah. What are your thoughts on bioidentical hormone replacement and its time and place in a person's life? Yeah, I think bioidentical hormone replacement can be very, very helpful for people, for women going through perimenopause and menopause. I would recommend having a Dutch test and seeing what pathway, what estrogen pathway is being metabolized before they do that. I don't know if your audience is familiar with the Dutch test, which is basically a dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. And you can see because there's different pathways with estrogen metabolism. And so if you are metabolizing estrogen into, I'm going to butcher it, but it's the 2-hydroxy 16, 16-hydroxy 16 estrone, I believe then, or estradiol, can't remember exactly, but if you're, the higher the number, so you're going to see a 16, you're going to see a 4, hydroxy 4, those ones are sending out a larger growth message. So estrogen is a, tells the cells to grow and it tells, you know, it's stimulated, it's very stimulating. And so we want a level of stimulation there, but we don't want too much growth because especially as a woman's going into perimenopause and menopause, you know, we're not trying to grow a baby. And so, so we don't want too strong a growth message. And there is, you know, the two hydroxy metabolites of estrogen are more of a, they're more of a toning level of estrogen that's very healthy. And so if you're getting bombarded by too much strong messages of growth from estrogen, that can be a really big problem. It can lead to breast cancer, fibrocystic breasts, uterine ovarian issues, things like that. So you do want to get a Dutch test before you just start throwing hormones in there. And there are nutrients that you can take. Sometimes people aren't methylating well, so they need more B vitamins. Sometimes they need things like methane. Sometimes there's toxins, you know, that are, that are really contributing, creating a high production of quinolones that are causing major free radical stress. And so we've got to reduce the toxicity. You know, you mentioned mold, heavy metals, xenoestrogens in the system, things like that. So binders, you know, you mentioned carbon binders, so fulvic acids, uh, humic acids can be really helpful for helping pull those things out, zeolite, and get those toxins out. So that is a good... So I'm not against bioidentical hormones. However, it is important that somebody understands where their hormones is, hormones are as a baseline. And then also trying to address root causes. So like with men, with testosterone, testosterone replacement can be helpful. But I always try to look at like, okay, why is this person's testosterone down to begin with. Now, we know when, when a woman's going through perimenopause and into menopause, it's very natural that their hormones are going down, right? Because, you know, the ovaries just stop producing the same amount because they're not trying to grow a baby. With men, certainly, you know, we're going to have more during reproductive years. However, for men shouldn't have like a, a really big drop in testosterone. That's typically going to come from insulin resistance, toxicity, just a sedentary lifestyle, things like that. So, so we want to address those root cause factors. If that person has insulin resistance, we want to get them doing intermittent fasting, 
We want to get them on a lower carb diet. We want to get them exercising, building muscle, particularly weightlifting, weight training. Like, I mean, for me, I weight train regularly. And I tell my wife, like, certainly like I, I enjoy the physical benefits of it. But even when we go on vacation, it's like I have to find weights, heavy weights to lift. And she's like, why do you have to do that? And we have young kids. Sometimes it's like an inconvenience because <laughs> I'm like, I have to go lift weights. I got to go find this gym. And she's like, you look great. Like, why, why do you have to do that? Why, don't you, why can't you just take a day off? I'm like, really? I do it for my mental health more than anything. And so I just feel mentally so much better when I'm lifting weights on a regular regimen. And that's really the testosterone. Testosterone plays a huge role in dopamine production in the brain, really helping balance those neurotransmitters. And most men are not lifting weights. And men were meant to lift heavy things. And so that's super important for testosterone production. So I try to look at kind of root cause factors and address those. And so sometimes doing that in conjunction with bioidentical hormones, I think that's really the, the, the best route to go. And, and oftentimes things can be addressed, symptoms, unwanted symptoms, quality of life can be addressed really with just the lifestyle factors. Sometimes bioidenticals are not, not needed. Completely. And so you mentioned the Dutch test and somebody listening is probably like, well, why isn't blood work enough to monitor my hormones? You know, my doctor runs all my hormones and they're willing to do that with blood. Why is that not enough? Yeah. So blood is really looking at it like at one point in time. And whereas the Dutch is looking at it like over a 24 hour period of time, because you're collecting that urine. And then also there's metabolites as well that the urine is, is, is checking, like cortisol and cortisone. It's looking at how these things are being metabolized. And so you get a lot more data from that as opposed to blood. Blood, you're just getting like one point in time. And depending on how you slept that night, you know, there's a lot of different factors that are going to address, that are going to affect it. Like, for example, cortisol, you're always going to have a little bit higher cortisol in the morning. So if you're testing you're doing your, your blood work fasted in the morning, like most people, you should have a little bit higher cortisol. Now, where are those reference ranges that they're coming up with, with uh, cortisol, I'm not exactly sure, but they might be, those reference ranges might be middle of the day or something like that. So it might look like your cortisol is really high in the morning when it's actually should be slightly high. And if you get your cortisol done, you know, in the mid afternoon, right, or the evening, it could look, or if you get your blood work done and you're looking at cortisol, it could be really low at that period of time. It could look low, even though it's, you know, your morning cortisol is normal range. And then as it goes out throughout the day, it starts to gently decline because cortisol is very much an awakening hormone. So you're going to have higher amounts of it in the morning. And then it's kind of gradually comes down as the day goes on and then kind of goes to the its lowest point right, right when the sun sets, right when, when it gets dark. And that's what allows for melatonin to be released. And so we can get really good sleep. So timing plays a really important role. And that's why with the Dutch, you know, you're doing it over the course of a day. So you're going to get those measurements and the metabolites. A while back, we received a question on the podcast about keto bars and how easy it is to eat two, three, or four bars in one sitting. Now, I've thought a lot about this like for quite a while, and I too struggled with it to the point where I couldn't have keto bars in the house because I would eat far too many in place of preparing like a proper balanced keto meal. There's some days where a take along with you bar is convenient and at times absolutely necessary. So I started looking for an alternative, something more balanced and a bar that would deliver nutrients, not just a balance of macros where my body would be satiated by one and not in search of more and more and more. Like I think one time I had six keto bars in one sitting and I didn't feel so good after. And then I found that very bar. So here are the ingredients in the new bar that I'm now eating only one of at, at each sitting. Organic cashew butter, organic tapioca fiber syrup, 100% grass-fed bone broth protein, organic dried apples, organic dates, organic pumpkin seeds, organic superfood blend, which includes organic kale, organic broccoli, organic spinach, organic acerola, organic wild blueberry, organic spirulina, organic ginger, organic turmeric, organic sunflower lecithin, organic cinnamon, organic flavors, Himalayan pink sea salt, organic rosemary extract, and monk fruit extract. Now this is made with certified organic, if you didn't catch that, 
organic, <laughs> antioxidant-rich superfoods, cold-pressed, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, non-GMO, contains healthy proteins, fats, and vital nutrients, no added sugars, artificial sweeteners, or sugar alcohols. It's very low in natural sugars at four grams or less, depending on the flavor, and it's whole food-based. Now, this bar is from Paleo Valley. They call it the superfood bar, and I'm happy to report I eat one, and I'm satiated, and I move on. No more bar binges. Now, this is huge, 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 huge for me. Head on over to paleovalley.com, load up your cart with superfood bars and whatever else you find that tickles your fancy, enter the code KETO at checkout and receive 15% off your first order. Again, that's paleovalley.com and use the code KETO for 15% off your first order. And you mentioned the metabolites earlier. You went through, I think, the 16-OH, 4-OH, and 2-OH estrone. What influences these metabolites? I think you touched a little bit on the B vitamins, you know, methylation specifically, but are there other things that kind of shift that those metabolites to the way that you want them, which sounds like the 2-OH estrone? Yeah, for sure. So insulin resistance is a big factor. So just making sure that our blood sugar is stable. And I know, Leanne, you talk a lot about this. Blood sugar stability is really critical for all hormones. And if we want optimal hormone, an optimal hormone synergy, right? Because different hormones are going to be released different times of the month, depending on if a woman's cycling, if they're, even if they're in perimenopause, just before menopause. So, that, so different hormones are going to peak and valley throughout that whole period of time. But one key way to know you're going to get the right hormone synergy is keeping your blood sugar very stable, keeping your insulin levels very stable. So that's another thing we want to look at on blood work is we want to see where your hemoglobin A1C is, where your ins fasting insulin levels are. I like to see hemoglobin A1C, which is basically a measurement of glycation, where, blood sh where sugar binds to red blood cells and actually damages the red blood cells. And so it's called glycation. So you don't want more than 5% of your red blood cells to be glycated. Now, there's a lot of people walking around with hemoglobin A1C, 5.6, 5.7%. And their doctor says, oh, that's great. That's, that's a really good measurement. But we want to get it to, you know, maybe 5.2 or under, ideally under five uh, is really optimal. So that's a sign of very good blood sugar stability. Then we also want to see that you're fasting insulin. So you should be fasting, let's say 12 hours overnight before you go in for this blood work, should be under six, right? So you're going to have some level of, fat, of insulin, maybe like two or three or four, but I like to see it under six. And that's a sign, again, that your body is not overproducing that insulin. When you overproduce insulin, for some women, they produce a lot more estrogen, particularly more of the four and 16 hydroxy estrogens, which are, again, those stronger growth signaling estrogens. And for other women, they may not get as much of a rise in the estrogen or those estrogen fractions, but they'll get a large rise in testosterone and they can develop a condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a, a syndrome that's, that is characterized by insulin resistance, so high fasting insulin and high testosterone. And then the women start to form these cysts. Oftentimes cystic acne can go with that. Those are common that they kind of go together. So keeping your blood sugar stable, exercising regularly, eating a nutrient-dense, high-protein, healthy-fat diet, right? That's super critical. Whether it's a keto diet, doesn't necessarily need to be a keto diet, but it needs to be a blood sugar-stabilizing diet. And I know, Leanne, you talk a lot about that in, in your podcast, so I'm sure they can go back and look more at more details there. Exercise, critical, detoxification strategies, getting out in the sun. I mean, that's so critical. So you get out in the sun, like I just, before this, I just went out, it's beautiful out here in Georgia, and uh, I like to get sun in the morning, midday, and then in the evening. So I go for a walk in my neighborhood, and it was, it's beautiful out, so I just take my shirt off, get as much of that, of the UV rays, as well as the near infrared, which are gonna be higher in the morning, and also at sunset. So as the day goes, you know, towards noon, as, you, as it pushes towards noon, you get more of the UVA, UVB, which are known to produce vitamin D, of course, right? And kind of get more melanin synthesis. So you get, you know, the tanning effect. And they obviously they can also be damaging if you get too much. In the morning, you get more of the near and far infrared. That is really powerful for reducing inflammation in the body. It can have a really positive effect on our hormones as well. You know, most people... You know, th th this is like an ancient proverb. It's 
It says, if you want to be happy and have an energy-filled day, wake up and watch the sunrise. If you want to sleep really good at night, watch the sunset, right? And so it just kind of, it's a feel-good proverb, but I think that there's actually physiological sense there as well, that in that you're getting a lot of these far infrared and near infrared rays when you're watching the sunrise and the sunset, you're getting red light as well. All those have powerful anti-inflammatory hormone optimizing benefits. So that's another great thing. Get moving, get sunshine, ground your body. So get out bare feet, grass, dirt, sand. I took my walk around our neighborhood bare feet today. There's free electrons that come from the ground, right? And so I know you're in, you're in Florida or the Bahamas, right? So you're on the beach getting a lot of free electrons that come from the ground that help neutralize free radicals in the system. I always, I always consider grounding where you're, again, getting your bare feet on grass, dirt, sand, kind of like um, showering from electromagnetic frequencies that we're all exposed to with our cell phones, with computers. You know, all of us are exposed to that in this digital world. And the way that we can help, help detoxify or help shower, just kind of give ourselves a daily cleanse is getting out, reconnecting with nature, whether it's going out in a forest, being around trees, we call that forest bathing, which is actually a therapy they use in Japan. So they take these guys out of the city, these, these businessmen out of the city, and they have them spend a week in a forest, living in a little hut, going out in the forest every single day for their mental and physical health, right? They should be doing that here. They're getting all these free electrons by doing that. And we can do it, you know, if you don't have a forest right next to you, just go out. Hopefully you've got grass or dirt or sand or something like that, that you can just stand on and you'll get those free electrons. So that's another powerful thing that's helpful. There are also different polyphenols and different compounds that are helpful when it comes to your diet. Like for example, with estrogen metabolism, cruciferous vegetables, particularly broccoli sprouts, um, are very high in isothiocyanates, which are these compounds that help with estrogen metabolism and help bring it down that 2-hydroxy path. They're also high in folate, which is a B vitamin that's necessary for methylation. So broccoli sprouts, you know, broccoli, all your different cruciferous vegetables, obviously you need vitamin B12 as well. So having good animal protein, having good stomach acid to be able to absorb the animal protein, super critical, because with the animal protein is going to come your vitamin B12, your absorbable form of B12. So that's critical. There's also vitamin B6 that you're going to get in plant and animal foods, right? Vitamin B6, vitamin B2, zinc. Zinc is also very important here. And of course, zinc, you're gonna get primarily from animal foods, wild-caught fish, pasture-raised eggs, grass-fed beef, organ meats, things like that. A lot of people are very deficient in zinc. We learned a lot about that with COVID, for example. Zinc is very important for you know reducing viral replication, but it's also really important for progesterone production, for example, for optimizing that estrogen-progesterone ratio it's also really important for testosterone, optimizing testosterone production too. So, so zinc is really key. So eating good foods, sun, sun exposure, getting your body grounded, exercising regularly, positive mental attitude, right? Keeping your stress under control, optimizing your sleep quality, all those things, super critical. Obviously, you can also take supplements. There's many out there. For example, one really common one that, that a lot of women will take, particularly if on that Dutch, it's showing high 16-hydroxy and 4-hydroxy, kind of shut, uh, shunt that into the 2-hydroxy estrogens is methane D-I-M, which again is you get that in your cruciferous vegetables. That's part of the isothiocyanates with sulforaphane, indole-3-carbonyl, and D-I-M. They kind of all come together. And so, but you can get, you know, concentrated supplemental form and that, that can be really helpful. There's other supplements like black cohosh, for example. There's black cohosh as well as dong quai, some of these other herbs, wild gam, things like that. Some of these herbs help, help, help support progesterone, but they also help, a lot of these help support estrogen receptor activity and helping the estrogen receptor function better and have a greater affinity to, to the estrogen in our body, right? So we're getting more of the expression. So those, oftentimes those three, black cohosh, wild yam, and dong quai, as well as like different types of ginseng, Asian ginseng, can be marketed for women going through perimenopause, menopause. 
for optimizing estrogen and progesterone. But it's not that they like boost production. They may a little bit. It's more of a, a modulating of the receptor where the estrogen that you are producing, the progesterone that you are producing, the body is able to uptake it better. And so you feel the benefits, right? Like black cohosh, a lot of, a lot of women that have hot flashes, for example, which is common when you know you don't have enough estrogen production, they oftentimes feel a lot better. They see really good improvement there. So that can be key. Let's see, am I missing anything here? Fiber can be really key. Calcium deglucurate is another really good one because Leanne, I don't know if you're running a GI map test. I know you've gotten really into functional functional health. The GI map Yeah, will I show. love those things. Yeah, so there's a biomarker <laughs> called beta-glucuronidase, which is a marker for basically the bacteria are breaking down bad estrogen or they're ba basically breaking down, your liver is breaking down estrogens and trying to shunt them out through your intestines. But bad bacteria will actually create this enzyme beta-glucuronidase, which will reactivate estrogens and basically cause them to get back into the bloodstream. And so we want to keep that marker under control. Calcium deglucurate will do that. It will help to bind and grab that and, and help pull that out of the system. And that's critical. So you'll see that in a lot of supplements that are marketed for female hormone health is calcium deglucurate. And then obviously taking something like, you know, you obviously want to optimize your gut microbiome. So probiotics, oftentimes a lot of people get really good results with that. Sometimes there needs to be some cleanup, right? Whether it's cleaning up fungal uh, overgrowth that's in the system, mycotoxins, you know, and, and mold overgrowth could be parasites, things like that. So if there's a high infectious load, if there's a high pathogen load in the system, oftentimes we'll see really high beta-glucuronidase. And taking the calcium deglucurate will help, but it's not really getting to the root cause. So you want to address the gut microbiome and support it there. Completely. I, I go to the beach every day without fail. And oftentimes I'll like bury myself in the sand. And I went with a friend the other day and she's like, what are you doing? You're like a child. I'm like, I'm getting free electrons. Exactly. Just like bathe in it. So I love your analogy of the, the, the showering. It's so true. Just like getting all that stuff off. Now you mentioned cleanup. What's your favorite cleanup supplement? Mine is personally, like mm. if I had to choose one, probably Biocidin because mm. it does so many yeah. different things. What would be your like go-to? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Like, like a binder or antimicrobial. So Biocidin, of course, the antimicrobial. So it doesn't really matter. That's a good question. You know, we have one, it's called Bioactive Carbon MetChem that we mm -hmm. use that is really good. Good You know, there's some good research on it, pulling glyphosate out of the system really well. It's based, carbon based. So it's, you know, it's got the fulvic humic acids in there. It's got, what does it have in there? Broccoli sprout in there as well. You know, we talked about that for the DIM. So that's in there as well. And so it's really good for metals, for chemicals, different things like that. And then when it comes to killing bad bugs, Oil of oregano actually works really good. So oil of oregano works great. I'm trying to think, you know, I'm not actually working with clients as much anymore, but we've got a bunch that we use. Mimosa pudica, I don't know if you're familiar with that one. That can Love work it. really well as well. Yeah, so that's like a sticky substance that's really good, especially for kind of larger parasites like hemoliths and stuff like that, worms. Be surprised how many people have a lot of these things. And that's a really good one that kind of sticks to them and helps pull them out of the system. So that's a great one. Neem can be really good. Clove, right? Those are good ones that I like. Garlic uh, can be helpful there as well. Um, and then one thing that I've, I've liked to, especially recently, try to kind of work towards is more of like a toning effect in the gut. So for years, I was using lots of antimicrobials and things like that with binders. And you can get really good results with that. I like a, a toning effect as well. So I've been using bovine serum, what is it called? Uh, immunoglobulins, right? BSI, bovine serum immunoglobulins, which are kind of specific binders in the gut that really pull out specifically not good. For, you know, if you're trying to pull chemicals out, that's not the one. But if you're trying to pull out bad bacteria, right, that's fantastic for it. So it works really, really well. And then trying to tone with some probiotics and optimizing like stomach acid, uh, pancreatic enzymes, bile, things like that, I think are all super critical. That's really your body's natural way of getting rid of microbes, bad pathogens, is having optimal stomach acid, optimal bile flow, good pancreatic enzyme production, 
and then having good immunoglobulins in the gut mucosa, right? So kind of supporting all of those things, I think is super critical. I really hope you're enjoying today's episode. I'd love to see where you're listening from. You can snap a pic and tag me at Leanne Vogel or leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast player. It helps me out tremendously. Okay, back to the good stuff. Yes, completely. I've been doing that more and more uh, with my clients of just more coaching up the body than just throwing antimicrobials and binders and all those things at it, because that's effective, but it can take a lot longer and you're not necessarily coaching up the pieces of the body. Like, I mean, I've had multiple clients, clear parasites, literally just focusing on mitochondria. Like, let's just get the mitochondria better. And all of a sudden they're passing worms and I'm like, this is so cool. That is awesome. That's so good. Yeah, it's so good because then you're so much more effective and all those herbs and things. I mean, it can throw off the balance, especially if you're not doing a GI map and watching things really carefully and just far more effective. Now, you mentioned oxidation way, way long ago. What's the role in inflammation? I'd like to get a little bit more into inflammation with the little bit of time that we have left together to just drive that piece home and understanding how inflammation can affect this overall system and some of the steps that we can do and things. And maybe a lot of what you already touched on addresses inflammation also, but could we just kind of tie that in with the inflammation piece and oxidation overall? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think about oxidation, I think about rusting, right? Just like a piece of metal when it's left out in, in, in nature and the water gets on it, it will start to rust or an apple browns. That's really what oxidation is. So it's kind of this internal rusting or browning of the of the body. And then inflammation is actually an immune. So oxidation is a normal kind of natural part of life. Um, however, and oxidation actually makes us stronger because it's a stressor on the system that our body, when it's under a good, when it's in a good environment, right, and it's got everything it needs, it adapts to it and it creates stronger antioxidant defense systems, right? Better at producing glutathione, better at producing superoxide dismutase, things like that. So it's all very, very helpful. Inflammation is a reaction that our body has to help protect itself from pathogens. We know that pathogens have killed more people throughout the history of mankind than anything else. For example, you know, when people, you know, our ancestors, when they died, typically, like even if they were, you know, in a war, they typically didn't die from, you know, being stabbed by a sword or a spear. Oftentimes it was the infection that got in from the flesh wound. So we used to have infections that would cause pneumonia and people would die from pneumonia like crazy or meningitis, things like that. Nowadays, that's not common for normal, healthy people, elderly people, maybe not normal, healthy people. Part of that is because our body has created this inflammation response and inflammation's job is to create this massive immune response to protect against pathogens from getting into vital organs and killing us quickly. And so thankfully, with our with our inflammatory system, we rarely die from a lot of these infections. However, we do cause a lot of collateral damage. And so now really our goal with functional medicine is toning the inflammatory process. It's normal. It's natural. We need it. It's part of the healing process, part of keeping these pathogens under control, but we have to tone it. And so the first thing we've got to do there is, again, keep our blood sugar stable. We already talked about that. We also have to heal the gut. And so whenever there's chronic inflammation in the system, we know it's related to leaky gut, meaning that the gut lining, which is only one cell wall, has become damaged. And now large proteins, bacteria, pathogens are now seeping into the bloodstream and they're driving up inflammation. When our barriers, so we also have a lung blood barrier, we have a blood-brain barrier, we have a skin-blood barrier. Whenever one of these barriers is damaged, we drive up inflammation. So, you know, if you get a cut on your finger, obviously that's going to burn. And then, you know, and that burning is part of that inflammatory process. We can see it. We can experience it. You don't see damage. You don't see a cut in your gut lining, but you may experience it. And, And really, you don't have pain receptors in your intestines. And so you don't typically notice gut pain you typically are noticing it with inflammation in other areas of the body that were, you know, with that inflammatory process was driven up because of the damage that, that took place in the gut. And so we've got to heal the gut. So intermittent fasting is really a powerful strategy for that, where you compress your eating window, and it might be to eight hours or 10 hours or six hours, right, where you're only eating your meals, let's say in an eight hour eating window from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. That gives your body a time 
to heal. The gut lining, even though it's only one cell, which makes it very vulnerable, it actually, those cells heal very quickly. And so if we can give ourselves time, 12, 14, 16 hours without any mechanical stress coming through there, that's going to give us some time to start to heal the intestinal lining and kind of reseal it. And so oftentimes we might need a little bit longer fast, right? In fact, one thing that I do, I have a history of irritable bowel that I had in my early 20s. So one thing I found to be really powerful for me is I typically am doing most days like a 16, 18 hour fast. But then one day a week, I do about a 24 hour fast where I eat lunch usually on Wednesday and then I fast until lunch on Thursday. And it's like a great, really great reset. When I'm doing that, that allows for the intestinal lining to heal. It also allows for my gut bacteria to diversify. So when we're eating all the time, we're primarily feeding the primary feeders. And we have primary and secondary feeders in our gut microbiome. The secondary feeders live deep in the gut mucosa. The gut mucosa is the immune component of the gut. And so one of the main strains there is called Acromansia mucinophilia. Mucinophilia means mucus loving. So it can eat the mucus. It also loves polyphenols, particularly things like oligic acid, which we find in pomegranate, cranberry, muscadine grape, things like that. So when we're eating every few hours, the primary feeders get overfed and they crowd out the secondary feeders. And we actually get a thinning in our mucus lining. And this is what most people are doing, eating every few hours. When we take that time, like the 12, 14 hours overnight, we allow for a trimming back, almost like uh, like the way the, the example that I use is that I have an apple tree and a blueberry bush in my yard. And the apple tree, every year it grows and it's its branches and leaves crowd out the blueberry bush from getting any sun. So now the sun can't shine on the blueberry bush. So if we don't trim the hedges on the apple tree, we don't get any blueberries. Well, it's kind of the same thing. We've got these primary feeders in, in our gut microbiome. We've got to trim them back. So we need time without food so that some of their population dies off. And now that allows room for these secondary feeders who can live on the, uh, the mucus, right? So they don't necessarily need food coming in. And when they eat the mucus, they actually stimulate the goblet cells in the intestines to produce more mucus, right? Produce more mucin. So they actually create a, a thicker, healthier mucus lining, which again is the first line of defense in our intestines from any pathogens. That's where our secretory IgA, our immune component is. So critical that we have healthy mucus membrane. So that really allows for acromansia mucinophilia and these other secondary feeders to thrive and it creates greater diversity. And all the microbiome researchers out there say, you know, if there's one thing we know looking at the microbiome, we've been studying it now for, you know, 15, 20 years, is that the diversity, the amount of different types of species is, is shown over and over and over again with lower rates. When you have larger diversity, lower rates of inflammatory disorders throughout your body. And so getting that diversity, intermittent fasting is one of the easiest ways. Another way is obviously eating a lot of a variety of different types of foods particularly foods that have an astringent. So a lot of people will say things like, you know, eat asparagus, eat, you know, all these high fiber, high prebiotic foods, and those can be helpful. What I found is the astringent flavor has is very rich in oligic acids and oftentimes other compounds like anthocyanins, resveratrol, and most people avoid astringent flavors. In fact, a lot of fruit has been hybridized to take the astringent or kind of almost like the sour dryness out of these things. So like apples, if you have, you know, apples used most almost all apples used to taste kind of a sweet sour combination like a Granny Smith apple. Now they're hybridized and I mean, everybody loves them. I love, you know, a sweet apple every now and then, but that's not actually as beneficial for your microbiome. It's higher in sugar, doesn't have a lot of these powerful polyphenols in them as the more astringent flavor. So pomegranate is very high in oligic acid, one of the best things for your microbiome. When acromansia, for example, eats oligic acid, it produces something called urolithins. Urolithins actually stimulate uh, mitophagy in your enterocytes. So the intestinal cells, they have mitochondria. The mitochondria, the damaged mitochondria have to be broken down and turned into new healthy mitochondria. That's called mitophagy. So urolithins will actually stimulate that process and that creates a stronger, more stress-resilient intestinal cell, stronger, more stress-resilient enterocyte. And the stronger and more stress-resilient your intestinal lining is, the less inflammation you're going to have in your body. 
And so the, the breakdown of oleic acid, which again, we find in pomegranate, cranberry, strawberry to, to a lesser degree, raspberry to a lesser degree, muscadine grape, which I was excited to find because we have a muscadine grape vine in our yard. And if you ever try muscadine grapes, they don't taste like your store-bought grapes. A lot of people don't like them because again, they're stringent and they're like a, like you notice a little sweetness and then boom, they hits you with the sour. But that's that oleic acid, resveratrol in there, right? Things like that. So those can be some of the best things to, to be consuming to help support the microbiome. They're also low FODMAP typically. So for people that have like bacterial overgrowth, typically do fine with those. And so they can be really, really supportive. So intermittent fasting and then a diet with a lot of variety, including some of those astringent flavored foods can be really helpful. I know I went on a tangent there. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. And I'm sure everyone listening loved it too. It's so great. Uh, Dr. Jockers, thank you so much for just sharing your brilliance with us and going through hormones and inflammation and so many of these key pieces, including just giving us valuable steps. You know, a lot of the times we listen to podcasts and it's like, this is great information, but what do I do? And so you guys have a bunch of lists of things that you can incorporate and just pick one and roll with it and, and benefit fit your health overall. Sometimes it goes beyond just your macros. And that's really what the Keto Diet Podcast is all about. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your brilliance with us. Awesome. Thanks again, Leanne. Thank you for having me. And I just appreciate you so much and all the great things that you're doing. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Jockers. Again, you can find more from him by going to drjockers.com. That's D-R-J-O-C-K ers.com. And all of the links and things will be in the show notes today. If you're unsure of where to find those things, just click around. And if you can't figure it out, just go to ketodietpodcast.com and look for today's episode, which is episode 393. Okay, so just go to ketodietpodcast.com, look for episode 393, and everything will be on that page. I'm going to include links to the books and the full script link and Dutch testing and anything else I think of between now and then. So I hope you have a great rest of your day and thanks for hanging out with us for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. Music for the Keto Diet Podcast provided by Yechi. Follow Jacob on Instagram at Yechi underscore official and on Spotify as Yechi. That's Y-E-C-H-I. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.